is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 49, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Demons. Demons. You can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts. When you find us on Apple Podcasts, give us the five-star ratings. Um, Zach, I checked uh, uh, like Tuesday to see if there were any new ratings. I didn't notice any, and I know that we promised that we would read them. Um, well, so. I-, I figured at this point in time, I would because re- we did have a couple of them that were from several months ago, uh-huh. uh, that I figured I would read those because those hadn't been read, uh, I don't think. So we have... So, yeah, go for it. We have a subscriber, a period subscriber. That's his name, her name. Oh, oh hello. Oh, hello, yeah. a subscriber. Uh, she, she, he says, would prefer a recap that was not just reading the wiki recap. Well, I'm working on that. Could use a little more prep work prior to the episode discussion, but it comes across as very natural. It is apparent they are fans of the show, and their honest appreciation of the show comes through, even when the episode they are reviewing is not great. That was from February. So that would have been oh, yeah, okay. early on. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in April of this year, Todd Patterson. Uh, shout out to Todd. He's actually a, a high school classmate of mine. Oh, uh, Hello, so Tom. there you go. Uh, can't wait to listen to this weekly. I appreciate listening to fans just like myself talking and chatting about the shows. Thank, thanks, nice. Todd, for that. Uh, and for that, you are part of whatever system that we decide is going to be part of. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about that, and, and like, uh, do we say they're they're now members of the 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 alpha site? Um, do we, you know? Oh, so so I in see. case of a uh, apocalyptic event, you will be saved. There you go. <laughs> if somehow we end up being in command somehow in the <laughs> in a future state where we're in a situation of apocalypse uh friends you ha- a subscriber and todd patterson you have now put yourself in the situation of being in you're in you are in. As opposed to everybody out who's out yeah so if you, if you want to be an alpha site uh survivor uh <laughs> we're working on it yeah that, that's <laughs> i like this idea though i well i mean it, it's got its problems i'll admit yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Brent, not exactly, we have our problems yeah I was gonna, this is not a well thought out plan but <laughs> hey we do what we can we do what we can um yeah uh brent i also did mm-hmm. some poking around and the reason we cannot find uh like ratings and reviews on google play podcasts is because mm-hmm. google play podcast doesn't do them really uh, apparently <laughs> Well, once upon a time they did. I think. Well, I don't know. Maybe I was reading old state oh, stuff. Well, and... you know, I mean, I used to ages ago. I used to be on Android, and like you know, Google Play was definitely the way to go. Um, they're now deciding. I think in Android ten, uh, Google Play Music doesn't ship natively. You can still download it, but it doesn't ship natively. Guess what ships natively, Zach? What YouTube Music ships natively. Oh, so well, Google. Okay, wants that you... makes sense because Google like. Yes? owns youtube now yeah i I, i'm just saying like when i want to listen to music i want to listen to music i don't want to watch a video videos videos i want to go back to radio uh as is evidenced by our hobby here (laughs) 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 audio is where it's at friends there you go 
Anyway, so yeah, yeah, so you can find us on those things. Uh, on Apple, you can give us the ratings. If you give us a review, we'll uh, we'll we'll totally read it because that's a thing we're deciding that we're going to do. I think this is a fun idea. On Google Play Podcast, you can just stare at the screen. You could just you could just give us good juju over the over the <laughs> internets. Uh, and on Spotify Podcasts, you can hit the little heart button that's uh, right there, and that helps other people find our podcast as well. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who's done that. And Zach, um, let's say that they said uh, that they left a review and they were like, uh, guys, you forgot to do it for like three weeks or something, you know, some hypothetical future. How would they alert us that they have done their due diligence and we are slackers? Well, if you want to inform us that we are slackers, A, we already know that. Well, uh, but I mean. B, you could email us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com. That is W L K I N G T H R U G H T H E S T A R G A T E at gmail.com. <laughs> I was a little bit slower that time. But. I mean, yeah, yeah, you were. And it's still, it's, it's, I, I recognize that I am a person that will get a weird, weirdly high amount of joy out of the same thing over and over and over <laughs> again so there's probably plenty of people out there that are like yeah zach's doing that gag and brent's laughing why is brent laughing again well it's because i'm a simple person there it's you go there you go uh you could also find us on twitter at stargate walking or on facebook walking through the stargate we have a facebook page go ahead and hit that like button and the subscribe and all of those fun buttons there as well as find us on their facebook group walking through the stargate uh-huh. Uh, they're the same, so it makes it easy to find Super us. easy. Super easy. Not confusing. Uh, no, not at all. Um, easy. Yep. Uh, so get a hold of us. Uh, we did get some... Uh, now i got to pull up my email because it's not up. Uh, but we did get an email, a couple emails this last oh, week, nice. Brent. Okay. Uh, as I'm pulling up because this is great audio to listen to This me. is super great radio. We, 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 we aim to please. Yes. Um, so I actually was in the process of writing a re- reply to Arnacht for this. Uh, I think I said your name correctly. If I didn't, yell at me again. Um, <laughs> it's pronounced Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was talking about Dead Man Switch. This, I got a couple of folks uh, talking about this, um, uh, saying uh, he was disappointed that we did not make the connection between the Roshna that uh, uh, Aris Bach had and mm. Ketracel White from the Star Trek Deep Space Nine universe and Jem Hadar. <gasps> oh! <laughs> um, yeah, that it, is a flagrant foul. Yeah, yeah. this is like literally the same thing. Well, I mean, sort of. Sort of. I, so so I, I think somebody mentioned this on Facebook, and I started making a comment, and I started writing to Arnacht, and Arnacht, I will try to finish this email and send it to you, but you'll hear the same information now. But there is a, there is a difference here. Uh, the, uh, I mean, in terms of what's happening on the end user, I suppose there is a great deal of similarity. We don't know enough about Rashna and all of that stuff uh, for that. But sure. the... the the Jem Hadar were genetically created by the founders. Oh, and yeah. And in yes, their genetic yes, creation, yes, yes. Uh, the, yeah. the Ketracel White was specifically added as something that their body couldn't produce that it needed. And yes. so they were literally genetically created to have this problem 
Whereas, according to what Box says, uh, his species was just going along fine, and then the Gua'uld, just over several generations, gave them all this drug, and then they all became addicted to it on a, on a uh, physiological... I mean, it, it, that's not how addiction works. Yes, true. But uh, but to Arnok's point, the um, here here is this physically superior warrior race that is being controlled by a different group of people through the use of a uh, chemical additive that is functioning similarly to something that is. I mean, it's not addiction produced. It's um, they must have it, or else their survival is in jeopardy. Deep right. Jeopardy. Um, the the other difference. Mm-hmm. Um, is that apparently this is uh, a, a singular version of control for Eris Bach. I mean, he s- routinely says he uh, hates the Gua world and doesn't like having to, to be a pawn of them, um, but he is stuck with this process and, and mm-hmm. yada, 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 whereas the Jem'Hadar, as a general rule, there are a few exceptions, but as a general rule, were also uh, created to think of the founders as gods, um, True, and and uh, are loyal to them even without the catcher cell white. Although the catcher cell white is certainly something that helps to ensure that process. Mm-hmm. So they're similar, but they are similar. There's some differences. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but uh, you know, uh, since we are a Stargate podcast, um, we're going to talk about Deep Space Nine for a little while. Oh, that's right. We're a Stargate podcast. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, so that's that. Uh, shall we actually dig into this episode, Demons? Then, Brent? yeah, let's okay. uh, let's get into Demons. All right. So yeah, the yeah, director yeah, yeah. of this episode is none other than Peter DeLuise. Yeah. And so I, I recognized the title card when it came across the screen, and I said to myself, "I gotta look out. I gotta watch out for him." I didn't see him. Ah, well, uh, early on in the episode, uh, I don't remember if it was before or after the credits. Uh, but you do see a villager like pop up in the middle of the screen. He's like, the demons are coming. And then he runs off. Uh huh. And that was our good friend. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I did not look up how many episodes he's done this season now and where this and falls in that, but you know, we're fine. It's Peter. He does a lot. It's Peter. We call him Pete. We call him Pete or (laughs) Mr. DeLuise. Well, I mean, that's what he prefers to be called, but well, I, yes. don't, I don't. Yeah, I, sure, I don't do sure. Uh, the teleplay is by Carl Binder. Uh, mm-hmm. This is his only solo contribution to Stargate SG-1. Uh, there is an episode later on in the series, very late in the season, uh, series, late in the series, uh, where he is part of a team that writes the teleplay for it. Mm. Um, uh, but we'll have to wait until season 10 for that to happen. Oh, okay. Um, so, like I said, very late in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, he does become a staff writer on Atlantis and on Stargate Universe, mm-hmm. and he eventually writes a total of 32 episodes of the Stargate franchise. Oh. Yep. Okay. Um, so, Binder, uh, he is from Ontario, and mm-hmm. he's worked exclusively in television since the 1980s. Uh, though he did help to write in uh, 1995 Disney's animated movie Pocahontas. Ah, okay. And his first writing credit, according to IMDb, was in 1985 with the episode Love Thy Neighbor from Punky Brewster. Ah, (laughs) nice. Yeah. Excellent. There you go. Uh, We do have several guest actors that we need to talk about. Well, Mm-hmm. Uh, David McNally, he plays Simon. 
We saw mm-hmm. him yes. uh, in episode Korai as Hano yes. there. Mm-hmm. It's almost the same character, but it's yeah. a different character. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. Yes. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. Like uh, I was thinking as I was, I was sitting there, I was, I was like, it took me a bit before I recognized him, but then as soon as then it clicked and I'm like, oh, right. He was in Korai. And I was like, and then it got into like, oh, that was kind of the same thing. But different, like that was a good way. To, good mean, way to I say mean, it. This this character Simon has, um, he's got more demons in himself than than uh, Hano did. Uh, there, or at least it shows more, or at yes. least it manifests in a different way. Hano is, or not Hano. Uh, Simon is is what was uh, a fearful man that was trying mm-hmm. to uh, yes. break out of that. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, Hano was just an angry man. Yes. Um, and, and those two did uh, pop out. Uh, we mm-hmm. will see David McNally again in an episode of Stargate Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that. Uh, A.C. Peterson, or Alan C. Peterson, he played the canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was apparently born Alar Edma, Edma A-E-D-M-A. Um, uh, he is an actor and a Ad- producer. Adma. Adma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alar Adma. There you go. I mean, uh, I, 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 who knows? The, you know, the, the, the folks there probably are like, it's, 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 it's Aidma, dudes. Yeah. Anyway. But who knows? Well, I'm going to call him Peterson. It's called Joe. Uh, Joe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's known for NARC in 2002, Shanghai Noon in 2000, and Shooter in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, he taught acting at the Vancouver Film School in Vancouver, BC. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is his only SG-1 appearance, but we will see AC again in an episode of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, suffice to say, it's a different character. Yeah, okay. Considering the canon has died. Well, so, so, the, so, so we were told. Well, yeah, fair enough. His, <laughs> his acting filmography began as an uncredited guard back in 1984 in the movie-slash-TV show, whatever it is, Mrs. Sofal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, he's still working. His most recent uh, credit it was a 2019 short film called The Last Christmas, where he plays Santa Claus. Oh, okay. But oh. I'm going to be honest, Brent, that the best thing yeah. he has ever done in yeah. the history of his acting career is playing Valesco in two episodes of... Kung Fu, the legend continues. Yeah! <laughs> yes. Oh, so good. I still haven't seen a single second of this of this series, but now it's turning into something that like must happen. Like yes! I must watch. So I there must you go. Watch some Kung Fu, the legend continues. <laughs> Back in 1993, and then again in 95, he played Valescu, uh, Valesco. I'm not certain how to pronounce that. Uh, there. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then cool. finally, what? Cool. 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 Uh, finally, I want to uh, highlight Laura Manel. She played Mary. She is a Canadian actress who grew up in Mission, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's gotten been in a sex, successful career. She was in Alphas in 2011 and in Haven in 2010. She's mm-hmm. been on uh, the Emmy-nominated series Flight 93 back in 2006. Mm-hmm. She's been uh, in the blockbuster Watchmen mm-hmm. movie uh, in 2009. She is apparently a cousin of Alan Young from the classic Mr. Ed TV series. Oh, okay. So she has a, a cousin who talked to a horse. 
<laughs> um, of course. <laughs> yeah. Back in 2004, she played a character named Audrey Parker in the TV series The 4400. Uh, oh, and then yeah. six years later on the series Haven, she also played a character named Audrey Parker. Same character? I have no idea. Uh-huh. I have no idea. Uh, okay. I have seen 4400, although I don't remember her in that. Uh, and I haven't seen enough of Haven to know if I've seen her or not. Mm-hmm. Um, this is her only appearance in Stargate SG-1, but she does have an Atlantis credit as well. Jeez, Louise. Um, it's like this, this whole episode, everyone was just like, yep, you're done here. And then later on, they're like, no, actually, you're not. You're not well, this, this is, uh, you know, Vancouver area. They're, they're, it's just one incestuous mob well, of no, I mean, I'm talking specifically with uh, between Stargate and Atlantis. Like, okay. this is the third person where you're like, yep, they're more or less done here in uh, SG-1, but they'll be back for it in Atlantis with a different there character. There you go. Different character. Uh, this episode of Demons was her third professional acting gig, according to IMDb. So this is at the beginning of her career, uh, okay. relatively speaking, and mm-hmm. she's had a long list of things she's done since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episode Demons aired October, no, October, August 13, 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were they listening to on October? Jeez, uh, I did it again. August <laughs> 13, 1999. The same thing mm-hmm. they were listening on August 6th, 1999. Genie in a Bottle by Christina, Christina Aguilera. Yeah. And yeah. When You Say Nothing at All by Ronan Keating. Yep. In yep. the US and UK, respectively. Uh, mm-hmm. In the box office, we were still watching The Sixth Sense, mm-hmm. but we added to that Bowfinger, uh, and then Blair Witch Project, Runaway Bride, and The Thomas Crown Affair. Yep, okay. So, um, what was happening about this point in time? On August, I got it right that time, August 11th, a <laughs> couple of days before this, there was a total solar eclipse in India, uh, northern India, and in France, and in that sort of band that lasted about gotcha. two minutes and 23 seconds. Cool. Uh, the Salt Lake City tornado, uh, there is a Salt Lake sor- Salt Lake City tornado uh, mm-hmm. that tears through downtown uh, and kills a person in on August Gosh, 11th. I don't remember that at all. I don't remember that. Um, I was in my own little world. Yep. On mm. August 13th, the day this episode airs, the 32nd annual San Diego Comic-Con International opens at San Diego Convention Center. Yay. Yay. Comic-Con. There's I've probably never people been there. out there that are just like, right, neither have I, and there are folks that are just like, like staring in disgust at their podcast players right yeah, now. Like, yep, yep. You guys. I would love to get there. I would love to get to Comic-Con. I'm, and, I'm not but, sure. If, I don't know if I would like to. I don't know. Well, uh, okay, I would say that uh, in principle, in theory, mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. like it. I think it okay. would be fun to to experience some of the the convention quality uh, uh, realm around there. Although, to be honest, if I were to spend money and go to a convention, I would aim at probably either Gen Con, Origins, mm-hmm. or one of the Dice Tower uh, board game conventions over and against uh, Comic-Con. Because that's sure. more my shtick. Although, that's if there was shtick. a big thing about Stargate that was announcing at Comic-Con, then I would totally oh, want to be there. Speaking of, I mean, we, uh, I thought I saw something about how there's going to be another Stargate convention in Chicago next summer. Ooh. Yeah. In, in, in summer 2020. Yeah. 
Well, keep your ear to the ground because yeah. Chicago is definitely something that is relatively easy for me to get to, and it's even yes. easier for you to get to. Yes. Um, and uh, summer would be a time when that could hypothetically happen. If I had enough planning, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did say hypothetical. Yes. You know, we may need to transform, uh, move to an transform, alternate yes. reality, transfer oh, ourselves to, oh, oh. go through the, the quantum mirror and all of that mm, stuff. I see. Uh, and then, okay. and then there would be, uh, there'd be Brent with a goatee. <laughs> Zach already has a goatee. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd be with goatee <laughs> I'd less. be clean shaven. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've only been clean shaven as an adult for like three things. Uh, yeah. One of them was for my wedding, uh, and I mm-hmm. regret that decision. I should not have done that. Um, <laughs> all my friends were like, you should totally shave for your wedding. You'll you'll appreciate it in 20 years. Well, it's been 20 years, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> uh, awesome. And then I have shaved my uh, face, been clean shaven for uh, a couple of different uh, theater shows that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in... Uh, few good men and obviously i had to be clean shaven for that yep um and well maybe that was the only one that i was actually clean shaven i did have to shave the the chin and just have a mustache for one show i was in i didn't much like that i would have rather gone clean shaven Mm. (laughs) but but uh you know i i I sported a mustache for like two weeks yep (laughs) yep all right we have gotten off track, Brent. Shall we get back on track? Well, the I mean, we are podcast? complete garbo. I mean, like, I don't know what you're expecting. Well, you know, that that's fair. That's fair. Uh, on August 15th, a couple of days after this episode aired, Beni Unif, uh, the Beni Unif massacre in Algeria occurs, where some 29 people are killed at a false roadblock near the Moroccan border, leading to tensions with Morocco. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember that at all. No, um, neither do I. And also on the 15th, uh, the PGA Championship Men's Golf Tournament occurred, and Tiger, Wid- Tiger Woods wins his second major by one stroke against Sergio Garcia from Spain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, second of, how many has he won so far? 40? A bazillion. Nah, 40. It's like, it's, it's like vaguely important because uh, Jack Nicholas has won like 42 it's probably not right. And it looked like Tiger Woods was going to like double it until Tiger started having all the problems at, like at like win number 40, for example. <laughs> I mean, like it was like <laughs> it's super close, like so close, but still but like Jack Nicholas is still the all time like major lead majors leader and Tiger's like number two. And it's 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 interesting in so much as it was just so obvious that it was going to be crushed and then it wasn't yeah. <laughs> it just wasn't well you know tiger woods has gotten back onto the pga cycle and so maybe he'll turn things around and get those extra wins that he needs i don't know anything about golf so who yeah, knows he's not yeah okay all right uh i do have some trivia things about yes. uh this episode okay o'neill's first line the first line of this episode is yeah. trees trees yeah. and more trees what a wonderful green universe we live in eh? Mm-hmm. which is of course a reference and a tongue-in-cheek response to the fact that pretty much everywhere they go off planet looks like vancouver forests and then right right there he also then makes a quip where he puts his pinky to his finger yes or pinky to his finger pinky to his mouth yes and I'm sitting there, I'm like rolling my eyes like that is a, 
it's it's an obvious reference, but it's also a dated reference. Somebody's going to be watching this show like who it, it, in the not too distant future from us right now and is going to go, what is he talking about? Like, what was that about? All right. So, Brent, uh, dear, mm-hmm. uh, share with our dear listeners what that reference is, because two things they need to know, need to know two references were being done there. Um, he was uh, I think he was referencing Mike Myers's character of Dr. Evil from the Austin Powers movie series. Yes. In the three movies. Um which in 99, I think that the third one was out by then. I think I can't remember exactly. But the Dr. Evil pinky to the mouth thing is Mike Myers referencing uh, one of the Bond villains from one of the original Bond movies from the 60s. So, um, you know, there's there's a couple of cultural references that a person can hook into on that one. However, I I posit that that is swiftly eroding with time, that, that there's somebody who is 16 years old watching this show for the first time maybe maybe <laughs> who is sitting who is sitting there going oh what was that about oh well i don't know and then that was it yeah like moving along yeah well i mean even without the cultural reference you do see him do that it's a little bit weird and then you it cuts to carter's face and she's like you're weird uh yeah so, i mean she's definitely like kind of so even if you lose the cultural reference uh i don't think the gag True. uh i don't think it it's falls flat without the cultural reference Gotcha. But I could be wrong. So 16-year-olds out there who didn't know what we were talking about, tell us what you think. Yeah, tell us what you think. All right. Uh, I found this really fascinating. So one of the big elements of this episode is the trepanning ritual. Yeah. Um, And it was uh, uh, common in the Middle Evil period. It was also common... for a significant time prior to that, mm-hmm. uh, the idea of drilling a hole in someone's skull to let out, uh, let the bad out, was very common for a long time. Um, apparently, up to ten percent of all Stone Age skulls that have been discovered have evidence of a trepanning being done, mm. uh, and most of these show bone reconst- restructuring at the edges of the hole, meaning that the patient lived long enough for the wound to heal. Mm-hmm. So uh, while uh, it's a uh, you know a significant thing and it is dangerous, uh, apparently <laughs> most people were actually were able to survive it. But there is a difference between surviving something and thriving. Um, well, fair enough. But let's be honest. Um, we still do the same thing today. We just don't use a do it better. You know, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we do it in yeah. a sterile environment. Um, yes. Yes. With sharper tools. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but still, there's that. I tell you what, though, that, that, that little, that little, uh, that little, that little hand uh, drill. Oh. Like. Ooh, yeah. I know. Yeah. That was a pretty good scene. <laughs> I, I'd be scared to death if that was coming towards my head. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I'd be scared to death if I were holding it. Well, yeah, fair enough. Um, Couple more trivia things. Um, Don S. Davis does not appear in this episode again. Uh, this episode oh, does right. not it's at two all. In two in a row. Uh, this is the last time that uh, Don S. Davis uh, will appear. Will not appear in two consecutive episodes. Um, <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> the, the, yes, it sure does. Okay. <laughs> that feels like one of those sports statistics. One of my favorite things to hate is that you're watching a sports show, you're watching sports ball, and um, in an effort to, like, fill time, like, the most ridiculously inane stats start getting thrown out. 
That's true. Well, Johnny, this was the last time that these two teams met in November on a day that was 60 degrees and with a light rain. Uh, at that time, uh, the, 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 the home team won by a score of 15 to 30. Uh, however that works. And, uh, and uh, you know what happened in that game there, uh, Bob? No, what happened in that game there, John? Uh, or Johnny or Bob or whoever? Uh, this, uh, this, this, this head coach was a fan in the stands at that time. Wouldn't you know it? Yeah. You know, so when when this person catches a ball at 15 yards or more <laughs> and then manages to dodge two defenders <laughs> and runs for an extra 15 yards, if he manages to get all of that, usually he scores a touchdown. Usually. This is the sixth time that's happened out of 20. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, Brent. Yes. So my next bit of trivia here is something that I found really, really fascinating. Okay. So in this episode, you noticed that uh, O'Neill gets like hit in the face, and and he got that wound in his eyebrow, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I'm going to spoil this a little bit, and that wound is there for basically the rest of the series. You see O'Neill now from this point on with that cut in his eyebrow, Uh which isn't all that exciting. However, what is really fascinating, and this I did not know, is that that is a wound of O'Neill and not a wound of Richard Dean Anderson. Uh That from this point on, Anderson and the makeup artist, Jan Newman, decide that that would just be part of his defining features, and so he sits in the makeup chair every day and has that scar added from this point on. Holy cow! Okay. Uh, when I read cool. that, I was like, "Wow!" I didn't. I mean, I knew that he had that cut in his 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 eyebrow, and what sure. I figured is that that was something that happened to Richard Dean Anderson, and they just ran with it. Sure. And Turns out. apparently, I was wrong. So that's exciting. Attention to detail. Nice. I like it. Yes. Um. I do have one more piece of uh, trivia before I get to a couple of goofs. Uh, uh, in the Illustrated Companion, Judge uh, Christopher Judge is saying this about this episode. Peter DeLuise directed it, so it was a hoot to do. And Peter did not tell the women who were watching over his body when he was dead that he was going to come back to life. And so when he did, the shock on their faces was genuine. They were literally scared silly and startled and ran off. They were not expecting that at all. So, 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 um, the, uh, this is where audio fails us because the look of puzzlement on my face is genuine. And here's why. All the actors gather to shoot the scene. <laughs> Christopher Judge lies down on the table. <laughs> He is sitting there calmly breathing, looking like he is dead. And the actors that are playing the women that are that are preparing him for burial are doing their little thing. And they're putting the gauze sheet over the top of his boots. And they're all just doing their little thing. And he sits up. And instead of the actors who are playing the women preparing his body, instead of them like looking around like, did I miss something? Did, did the scene cut? Why is he sitting up? This is ridiculous. Lay back down. You're dead. Instead, you're telling me they went like this and ran away because they were actually frightened. <laughs> like <laughs> they're act. 
actors. It's an act. I, I, so, so all I am doing here is recounting judges recounting. Well, so if you have an issue with this, I'll take it up with Christopher Judge. Yes, um, we, can have a, we can have a voice off. There you go. This this story happened as I as I relay it. Although he doesn't talk like Teal'c, maybe he would for this one. Maybe he would. Yeah. Um, the story is factual. There you go. Uh, I call BS. <laughs> okay. Should I move on? <laughs> All right. I'm going to move on. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Um, now, uh, the inhabitants of the planet were taken ostensibly from Earth through the Antarctic Gate during the Middle Ages. Daniel estimates that this happened, you know, roughly a thousand years earlier. However, um, when subjecting Teal to the trial by water, the canon recites the prayer to St. Michael, which was composed by Pope Leo the Thirteenth in 1886. Mm-hmm. So doing a little well, bit I mean, of I, math. I, I didn't know that that was the prayer or the date, but uh, my mm-hmm is the... Uh, we've got some problems with the timeline on this one. Uh, yeah. Uh, the pre-Chaucer form of Middle English that was on the stone early on in the episode uh, seems to in fact be early modern English, which mm-hmm. was spoken significantly later than the medieval period and Chaucer's lifetime. It mm-hmm. also says in the episode that the people on the planet uh, have been living like this for, quote, at least a thousand years, which mm-hmm. means they could not logically be speaking even Middle English. Uh, if they had been, they would be speaking uh, Old English from earlier than that. Yeah, so, no, it was, yeah. Mm-mm. Of course, then they all just speak modern English, period. Um, but, uh, because if anybody were speaking even Middle English today, if you were trying to read Chaucer today, you would not be able to understand it at all. It is sufficiently different than Yeah, it, it, uh, no, there's, mm-hmm, no. Uh, but, uh, you know, besides that, uh, there you go. Shall we, Brent, dig into the synopsis yes. for the episode Demons? Let's do it. All right, here we go. The SG-1 team arrives on a primitive planet where they soon discover a small medieval Christian community. As they approach, the team speculates on whether or not the Gua'ulds are posing as the god of Christianity. Tilk notes that he has never met a Gua'uld capable of the compassion and empathy shown in the god of the Bible. As the team enters the village, the villagers immediately flee to the houses and close the doors. Walking further into the center of town, they see a young woman chained to a pole, suffering from what appears to be chickenpox. As they investigate, a man approaches with a wooden cross. His name is Simon, and he begs the demons, a.k.a. SG-1, to spare Mary's life. Jack insists that they are not demons, that Mary is not possessed, that she's only sick, only sick, and that they can help. Simon begins slowly to trust them. He tells them of the demon that comes through the circle of darkness regularly. And while he is talking, uh, the demon comes from the circle of darkness into the town. Mm -hmm. The demon is an Unas, and he demands five wretched souls for sacrifice to his lord, Satan. And he'll be back in the morning to collect. SG-1 realize now that the Gua'uld is not impersonating God, but rather, Sokar is playing the devil. Can, can I pause here real fast? Sure. I forgot to look this up. Um, I'm supposed to know who Sokar is. Um, we have talked about Sokar a couple of times. Um, 
Uh, I recognize in, the name, in, and each time I'm like, I've forgotten who he is. So the first time we introdu- we are introduced to Sokar is when Apophis is dying at the SGC, and it is oh, Sokar yeah, who is bombarding him. the gate and gotcha. saying, "Give yep. me Apophis." Yep. Yep. We okay. also I'm hear back. Sokar last week in Deadman. Yeah, uh, Deadman Switch. Um, uh, I didn't want to admit that the, I had forgotten. The, one, who he was. the Tolkard guy uh, has been working in Sokar's ranks. And then escaped from that. Uh, Eris Bach was working on this hit for Sokar. Yes. Right. I'm back. Okay. Thank you. So, Sokar. The cannon arrives in the village. And that's C A N O N, not C A N N, C O N N O N, or whatever it is. Anyway, C A N N O N. Bang. He, he's, he's, he's a uh, man of the cloth uh, type of character, not a uh, uh, big machine that. Sh- propels balls of iron. <laughs> In any case, shall, shall I continue? The cannon, the cannon is here. Oh, good. <laughs> Finally, we can blow up that guy. Okay. We can defend ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On some levels, I want to say that the town would be better off with a cannon instead of the cannon. <laughs> oh, by a long shot. In any case. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> Aha, I see it. <laughs> to be fair, I heard it. The cannon arrives in the village and is told about the new visitors and Satan's demands. The cannon is the leader of the village, and it falls to him to decide who will be given in the sacrifice. It is clear that while he seems somewhat sincere in his beliefs, he is also able to manipulate the realities of the village for his own benefit. He wears a magical ring. Uh, You did not hear there my hands going, which is actually me going, quotes, you know, magic. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're, you're throwing it in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the ring is not magical. No, but it is cool. It is an interesting ring. It is cool. Uh, that seems to be some kind of Google technology. Uh, his ring allows him to summon lightning from the sky to strike down threats. And, of course, feeling threatened by SG-1, he uses his ring to incapacitate them and then rallies the townspeople against them by calling them all demons. Anything that came through the circle of darkness must be damned. Mm -hmm. After being knocked unconscious by the lightning bolt, uh, Jack, Sam, and Daniel later wake up in a jail cell. Teal'c, on the other hand, has been taken to endure the tests to see if he's really a demon. After all, he has the mark of the devil on his forehead. Uh, The tests eventually lead him to the lake where a heavy stone is tied to his feet. If he drowns, his soul is pure. If he floats, he's clearly a devil. As the rest of the team watch on in horror and cry out that Teal'c is innocent, the townspeople push the Jaffa into the water as the cannon looks on. Teal'c sinks. The bubbles stop. The Jaffa is dead. But at least he's not a demon. Oh, good. Yeah. The townspeople retrieve Teal'c's body and begin preparing him for a good Christian burial. The cannon will allow SG-1 to leave through the circle of darkness to whatever damned place they come from with Teal'c. <laughs> Suffice it to say, Jack is really pissed at the cannon. Yeah. Simon is still very concerned for Mary. Her fever has broken, but if he doesn't perform the trepanning ritual to release the demon that is possessing her, the cannon will choose her for sacrifice. Daniel tries to convince them to not drill a hole in Mary's head. Of course, while all of this is happening, all of a sudden, Teal'c wakes up and sits up and scares the women half to death who are preparing his body for ritual, uh, for burial. And apparently the actresses as well. And the actresses as well. 
When he uh, realized that he was going to be drowned, Teok went into a deep state of Kelnorim, and while he was underwater, his symbiote was able to sustain him. Unfortunately, with Teal'c's resurrection, the canon declares all of them to be possessed and has them all chained until the morning to be given to Satan as the sacrifice. And with them, since they needed five and there's only four in the team, the canon chooses Mary as the fifth. Mm-hmm. The next morning, the team wakes, wakes to see Simon watching from a distance. They all call to him for help, but he is too scared to do anything. The demon that is to say, the Unos, arrives and takes SG-1 and Mary with him. While they are being led back to the gate, SG-1 and Mary make a daring escape by tumbling down a hill. The Unos gives chase and eventually recaptures the prisoners. Simon arrives with Teal'c's staff weapon. Scared out of his mind, he stands up to his own demons and fires the weapon several times. The Unos grabs Simon and tosses him aside. Simon, injured, runs away as best he can while the Unos gives chase. Mary and SG-1 are finally able to get a hold of the staff weapon that was thrown aside, and they free themselves. Jack and Teal'c pursue the Unus and Simon, while Sam and Daniel take Mary to the Stargate. Simon, as he's running running away, runs into the cannon. The cannon is not happy with Simon's defiance of the status quo. The injured Unus approaches the two men. He throws Simon aside and overwhelms the cannon before he collapses dead. Jack and Teal'c arrive and discover the Unus dead. Simon, no worse for the wear, and the cannon, a repentant sinner. The cannon relinquishes his ring by which he maintained control of the town to Jack. The group heads back to the gate. They are about to say their goodbyes and depart when Sam senses that something is amiss. The Gulawuld that was in the Unus has taken a new host. The cannon is a Gulawuld! No! The cannon attacks, and Jack quickly puts several bullets into his chest. He dies, and the town is truly saved. (laughs) SG-1 advised Mary and Simon and the village to bury the Circle of Darkness after they depart, and with that, they say their goodbyes for real this time. SG-1 walks through the gate for home as Simon and Mary look on. The end. The end. The end. So, Brent. Mm Mm-hmm. Demons. Mm Mm-hmm. You were all excited when we watched the promo last week. Yeah, I sure was. What'd you think? All right. So, um, I mean, it wasn't so bad. I mean, it was, it was fine, but there were, all right. So, um, there were the historical inconsistencies, which were bothering me because I'm a historian and these things matter to me, but like, all right, fine. Like I'll let it go. And then there's also the thing that I keep noticing, you know, like we, we seem to be enjoying the ability to like have a time travel story, uh, in this, uh, uh in, in this storytelling universe by popping into civilizations that were that were that were taken away from earth and deposited elsewhere but then somehow don't ever change right so even if a even if a group of people from uh when was Chaucer's time 12th century from 12th like century England were taken to a planet far far away like it would have been 800 years 900 years of them no, 800 years of them is just sitting around doing nothing, like not not changing in the least. Like we have examples here on Earth of cultures remaining fixed for centuries, uh, but 
not that long, and certainly that's unusual. And so here we are in another situation where we suddenly pop through the gate and find that nothing has changed. Uh, if later in the storytelling we discover that uh, that that space and time are being manipulated by the Stargate travel, then then I'll, you know, and this pe- this group of people have only been here for a couple few generations. I'll be much more satisfied with this stuff. But at the moment, it just is being told to us that these folks have been on this planet for a long, long time, and they have done nothing in that time. So that's me just being like, all right. Yeah. Well, that's not new. That that has happened with several different cultures throughout yes. the series so far. Yes. And um, we have, and you know, we were we were going on a terror with it in the first season, but um, you know, yeah. Here we are again. Um, and then uh the. The the acting was oh was fine. The acting was fine. The guy that played the canon played him okay. It was just a little it was a little yeah, it was fine. Um the the characters were mostly okay. I mean, like the story was just plausible enough kind of all the way through the thing that it was fine, but it just it just wasn't really that amazing. Um like I'm glad that the final twist was the final twist because when uh when the canon was like tossing his ring to Jack I was just about ready to rip this thing a new one. Um, and then, it, you know, turns out I was wrong. And I admit that, you know, that, so I'm glad that that final twist was there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just wasn't that it just wasn't that engaging. Um, you know, the, the plot, the story plotted along in the middle, like the second half of the first part. Like I noticed the pacing kind of got a little wonky um, and the threats always seemed a little peculiar. Like I was constantly sitting here thinking like, OK, awesome. The Unas is going to release SG-1, you know, well, take off the, the pegs or whatever off the thing. And SG-1 is totally going to just like wrap him up in a chain. Right. Like they're they're mm-hmm. sitting there holding a fantastic uh, tool for getting the upper hand. And then they sort of do it with the big old synchronized tumble. <laughs> but but then they had to synchronize run away and like it's like and so that was like okay it'd probably been more effective if you had just yanked the chain off of the guy's arm and wrapped him up and beat him up for a while but okay that that, that didn't happen um and then the relationship between uh Simon and the canon was pretty much the only relationship that was defined within the village itself like there were a couple of other characters that had words to say or things to do, but, but you know, their looks of consternation were the only indication of what they were thinking. There wasn't much dialogue or no dialogue in a lot of it. So right. we were only able to understand the relationship of Mary, Simon, and the canon. And, you know, the relationship between Mary and Simon was pretty more or less straightforward. Simon thought he was doing the best that he could, even though he was he was feeling very crushed by it. Mary didn't want it to happen because duh. And <laughs> the canon was just this aloof jerk megalomaniac. Like and you know, even that one scene, there was one scene that was kind of popped in the middle there, which was kind of an odd scene within the within the construct of the story itself. It lasted, what, maybe a minute? Simon walks up to the cannon who is lounging on the edge of a thing, like, eating up some treats. And, like, doesn't... I don't think he said anything. And the cannon just looks down and basically is like, Ah, Simon. Sucking on a chicken bone. Your questioning is... You're always quick to ask questions. And that's going to be the undoing of you. And that was it. Like, they, they cut away. And... 
I bet you that that scene was written out to be much more extensive and they clipped it for time or something or maybe they felt like the pacing was getting slowed down there or something. But hmm. like, why did we even have that? And so like, it's just, you know, so we had this exposition of the seat of the, you know, the trials that were happening in the middle of it. And hooray, like, you know, they, Teal gets a big old whole hot poker touched to his forehead, the tattoo with gold in it. Apparently that doesn't hurt. Um, and then he gets tossed into a lake and is able to survive because of a plausible, uh, mostly plausible situation and that he goes into this deep trance. Plus his symbiote is a helpful thing. You know, I don't know. Boy, that, that part I buy. I, I buy that. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. is it stretching things a little bit? Sure. But, uh, you know... We we've seen the ghoul, uh, the the Jaffa, at least with Teal, have profound healing capabilities with his because yes. of his symbiote. Uh, yes. If he goes into a deep sense state of Kelnarim, and now his heartbeat is way way low, which yes. means he's not breathing a whole lot. Um, his body doesn't need the type of nutrients and, that that it would need prior to that. And then if the the you know water based um, or water dwelling symbiote is able to uh, select, you know, bring oxygen in and then pass that on to Teal'c. Uh, you know, it's a little bit of a stretch, but I buy it. Well, it's not as much that the explanation is a stretch. It was the speed with which everybody kind of realized it. Or that, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting tied up. Sam's a pretty smart cookie. She can put a lot of things together pretty fast. All right. Okay. She is. So, but overall, like, I was super excited because, like, this was going to look a lot of fun. Hey, medieval Europe, yay! And it just felt like they had the ability to get a number of things right, but they got them wrong. And um, uh, and then the story wasn't really enough to really carry it. Not really. And the um, the acting did a pretty darn okay job. It was either good or okay. And the story itself was okay, but, I don't know, meh. Yeah. What do you think? Well, so I'm a Christian. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually work at a church. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually an ordained pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whenever I watch TV, I especially when there are Christians being portrayed, I am always asking the question, how are these Christians being portrayed, and are they being portrayed accurately and fairly? Mm-hmm. Sadly, too often, uh, they are being portrayed poorly and unfairly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that said, in this episode here, um, I found that the characters, uh, without going into a lot of detail on who they are, I think that they are being portrayed fairly for, uh, the type of character that they're supposed to be. Uh, and by that, I mean the canon being this corrupt dude. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that said, there was that one scene, uh, earlier than the one that you just referenced a minute ago when the canon was speaking to, I believe, Jack. Um, and as they were talking about, um, I think part of that was discussing the ring, but also just talking about sort of the realities of things. Um, and, and I saw in that conversation, uh, something in, especially this time viewing it, uh, between, uh, the canon and Jack, that the canon, um, is not unmindful of the terrible burden that is placed upon a leader who must make a choice in the face of, you know, I mean, what do you do? If you don't select five, the whole town's going to be gone. And you're the one in charge of doing that. And so there was that one scene where, where he expresses the weight of that. Now, 
I'm not going to defend him any more than that because he clearly chooses fear over hope, which as a Christian is something that I rail against in myself and in others. Mm -hmm. And what I found as I was watching it this time is that I stopped caring about the story. I stopped caring about the acting. I stopped Mm -hmm. caring about the characters per se. And I started asking myself questions. Uh, What is the rule of fear versus the rule of hope? What is the difference between retributive justice and restorative justice? Now, those are big, complicated terms that Mm -hmm. uh, I hesitate to talk. Uh, Retributive justice, real quick, is uh, getting justice, making things right by beating somebody up. Mm -hmm. Restorative justice is making things right by restoring relationships and uh, rebuilding community. Mm-hmm. Um, these are actually really big questions that are plaguing uh, Christian churches today and our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the fact that this asks that question um, is was fascinating to me. Um, is it a good thing to fight evil? Uh, how should we do a, do it? Um, you know, at what point in time do you just stick your head down and and hold your breath, uh, doing some damn distasteful things? until you can get the hope to, to fight it. Um, you know, at what point in time do you have to stand up to what Hitler is doing, and at what point in time can you have to just look and say, I can't stop this? Right. Um, and who has the role, the responsibility for that? Uh, these questions popped up in this episode. Um, what is God's will? How do we determine it? That's a really big one. Uh, is it God's will that these people die? Uh, is it God's will that, that just a few should die for the sake of the whole? Uh, is it God's will that, that uh, we should not be trapped by fear and stand up to this, even if it means we all end up dying? Um, you know, who knows? Um, these are all questions that uh, really popped up as I was watching this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, what, where is the balance between questioning and obedience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things that it has become uh, uh, very obvious for me of late, though this is by no means uh, a new thing for me, is that I have a problem with authority, Brent. <laughs> uh, uh, uh-huh. Which makes it challenging living in a structure that has a significant amount of authority and power mm-hmm. over me, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the political natures of the Christian church, uh, not to say nothing of our politics and whatnot. I have a problem with authority. I distrust it. And yet there are times when I need to, uh, you know, shut my mouth and just obey the process. And there are times when I need to ask questions about it and say, wait a second, is this right? Is this real? Is this the way it should be? Uh, and, and step up against that. And that balance is played out in that one spot. And uh, it, it never really gets uh, filled out. It never gets fleshed out, but it's there. It's one of those questions that, that tidbit is there. Um, one of the things that I uh, just realized uh, consciously as I was typing up the synopsis is that this is an episode about Simon, who begins terribly fearful. He is scared to even look at uh, 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 Sam and Jack and Daniel and Teal'c. Uh, you know, he's holding that cross out there, yep. and he's like, mm-hmm. yeah. And and then the demon comes, the Unus comes, and now he's just you know peeing his pants, scared. Mm-hmm. Everybody is. Mm-hmm. And by the end, he 
uh, you know, he's asking questions. Then, he, then by the end, he stands up to the biggest bad he has ever seen, which is that Unus, and destroys his own uh, source of fear. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that sense of, of uh, standing up to a fear was really exciting as I, I saw this play out. And then you see him um, stand up after that to the cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, none of this is fleshed out, um, which is really sad to me. But all of these little pieces are here. Um, and then you get that wonderful line <clears throat> with the bravery of Simon at the end. He says, my God is always with me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and uh, he has been transformed significantly through the processes here uh, of standing up to his own fear, standing up to those things that that uh, paralyze him, uh, and he discovers uh, the truth that was there all the time that mm-hmm. that his God um, uh, is actually there with him. That 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 uh, force in the world that uh, provides hope is there with him. Um, but he couldn't see that always because he was too focused on his fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all these little pieces fit in there. Um, you're right. The acting is fine. It's not exciting. It's not great. It's not you know wonderful. Uh, a lot of these questions are there, and none of them are really developed, which makes me sad. Yeah. Um, uh, but they're there, and they're they're worth pointing out and noticing. Um, because frankly, in my mind, that all of a sudden, even this time, I actually consciously noticed these questions. Of course, I was looking mm-hmm, a little bit more mm-hmm. carefully for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes it uh, better, the fact that they're at least asking the questions. Um, you know, uh, asking the right questions is way better than uh, just not asking the questions at all. Uh, which plays into implicitly that whole thing, uh, questioning versus obedience and all of that stuff. I'm mm-hmm. just talking off the top of my head now because that's what I do. Um, yeah, so all of these pieces are there. Um, this feels to me, so listening to you talk through that thing, it feels, this feels similar to how I was feeling when we were talking about Learning Curve, where um, the story itself wasn't trying to bring up these particular, th- uh, the, the story itself didn't necessarily trot those questions out in the open quite as plainly as I was calling them out. And so likewise, this story wasn't trotting out the questions that you were bringing up as plainly as you were bringing up, True, but it got us respectively thinking about the, those respective episodes in, in, in a way that was very, um, satisfying, um, or at least, that's how it was for me with Learning Curve. I get the sense that that though this episode didn't uh, explore the questions that you were bringing up that fully or even that well, that the very act that you are able to think on this is uh, is a satisfying element that could contribute to your enjoyment of this episode. Is that safe to say? Uh, I enjoyed this episode more this time as I examined these questions mm-hmm. well, by examining, mm-hmm. I noted these questions mm-hmm. than I have in the past. This mm-hmm. has not been a, a favorite episode of mine. It's been one. So, okay, you know, moving through, moving on. Yep. Um, you know, uh, we get more information about Sokar. Uh, moving on. Uh, right, right. Um, so, yes, I enjoyed it more this time as I think about these questions. Um, I also recognize that these questions are... Uh, fundamentally of a theological nature, which really gets me excited about talking about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I started talking about them in depth right now, I'm going to be honest, folks, I will enter into a realm where most of you are going to be going, yawn, and then you're not going to care. Um, I, uh... 
that's because I end up using big words and I can't help myself. I, well, but you see, but that's but that's it though. Is that like you know? I don't necessarily think that these types of questions are are intrinsically boring. Well, I don't I think, think, that's think how they so are either. Yeah, I just it's like that thing that I say. Uh, I haven't said it yet, but like history isn't boring at all. History teachers are boring. Um, the 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 concept of these types of of these deep kind of questions that pull at the uh, at the hearts and minds of people and the arc of people trying to answer those questions is a very meaningful, interesting element of humanity. And so here this is an episode which uh, is one of only a couple episodes which trots into um, which trots into Christian theology and tries to make a story inside it. And, you know, the first one uh, that I can think of is uh, um, the second commandment. And, you know, I, the fifth commandment in that episode, last commandment, I don't know one, the second last commandment. I don't know. I'll look it up. You keep talking. Okay. Uh, first commandment That's first commandment. First commandment, not last commandment. Yeah. Thou shall have another guys before me. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, uh, and, and at that time I was like, I didn't really like it very much because it was hitting too close to home. And by the time we got to the end of it, I was realizing, you know, oh, I, um, uh, since it was too close to my own experience, I wasn't able to see it as a story that is talking about, uh, a, uh, that is that is taking almost the exact same story that they were taking with just about every other culture before that, where where every time that SG one was traveling through the gate, they were encountering what was a society which thought that they had a religion built up around an entity, and in every story up to this point, the entity was a ghoul. And so once I kind of got myself out of that framework of like uh, that that little like quote too close to too close to home unquote framework I was able to enjoy that particular episode a little bit more. This one um this one felt like it had the opportunity to go into some of those questions a little bit deeper but, but and not even necessarily the theological questions but even just more so the humanity questions. Well, I would of, say I wouldn't add to that 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 fundamentally theological questions are questions about humanity. Uh, so the, the questions that, that humans ask themselves, um, one of the realms in which they answer those questions is a theological one, because the theological one begins with the sentence, uh, there is something bigger than myself, mm-hmm. um, whatever that is. And then, and then it digs into what does it mean to exist with something that is bigger than myself? And then you go all sorts of different directions, and it doesn't matter which theological framework you do, that's where you begin and that's where you go. And those are fundamentally human questions. And television shows typically stay away from theological questions, and if they're going to go into any type of of posturing, it's going to be... Probably not the best word. If they're going to go into any kind of of, of deep thinking, they're going to try to stay into the into the philosophical area or the sociological area, and we see plenty of that in SG One for sure. Right. Um. But even in this episode, you were bringing up the point where the canon was sort of like you know talking with Jack and seeming to bring up the questions of the heavy weight of responsibility of trying to figure out what to do. I, I was interpreting that scene differently, not significantly differently. He was talking about the heavy responsibility, but it sounded to me like the wolf in sheep's clothing thing, of you know, uh, wouldn't you know it? There, I said it again. Um, like the 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 canon saying, uh. Yes, I enjoy great power, and yes, I enjoy great privilege, and 
and you know, woe is me, let me shed a tear, it comes at the expense of having to have the very weighty decision of choosing five random people to be sacrificed to this particular you know, jerk uh, every now and again so that I could stay in the power and have my f- cool fancy ring. I wasn't buying it in the least. Hmm. But if they had reframed it, if it was a moment where uh, let's complicate this character a little bit, the canon does not have to be so straightforward, two-dimensional um, egomaniac. He can be a complex character that is struggling with something that has been handed to him without choice. Uh, we could dial back the 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 blatant um, enjoyments of power and privilege that that he has, including that one scene I was referencing where, like I said, it started off where he's lounging at the top of the staircase eating a snack. Right. Um, like it was very evidently per- being portrayed that he he enjoys this position. Yes, he does. Um, Absolutely. And and you didn't have to write it or play it that way. And you could have started to you could have gotten some nuggets of you know now you get into the interesting question of when you are encountering a power that is beyond your ability to do anything about it, and that power is raw evil. What are your responsibilities in that situation? Is your responsibility to ensure the survival of as many people as you can for as long as you can, even though what you are doing is aiding and abetting the very thing that you hate? Or is your responsibility to take every single man, woman, and child, fight as hard as you can, and die gloriously? Like, what's your responsibility there? That's a complicated question. And we didn't get into it. And I would say that's one of the things that, you know, like I mentioned, when I look at how Christians are portrayed, um, Mm -hmm. The reality is there are very few Christians who exist today, at the very least, who are quite so Uh, Mm two-dimensional. There are plenty of Christians in leadership in my own sphere that uh, uh, I am not as trusting of as I would like to, but I would, as much as I would like to paint them into the broad, thick uh, brush that has no nuance uh, to make a reference to learning curve, they're mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, as as evil and bad, uh, like they do certainly try to do with with the canon. Uh, these people are not one hundred percent black. They're not one hundred percent evil. You know, right? There, there's there's struggle and there's nuance, uh, which I will say then uh, a uh, forces me to rail against uh, those you know two dimensional characters of. Christian leadership that are portrayed on TV um, mm-hmm. as that, uh, and it also then pushes me to look for ways uh, that add depth to character uh, possibilities, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, at least probably part of what I was doing as as I referenced the previous scene, scene uh, before. Yeah, I, I think that this this for I think that the travesty such that it is of this episode is that it had the potential to be better than it was. Um, that, that, you know, that the, that there were a lot of little parts about this thing that you and I were talking about. And, you know, as I was watching it, it was you know vaguely evident. Um, it, it became more evident as we were talking about it, that, uh, that even though they didn't, it, it's probable that they were not trying to tell a complicated story. Probable. Um, and they were probably trying to tell a story that was kind of like a you know a Salem witch trial type 
thing. Like, you know, that's not uncommon either. Mm -hmm. And as it happens, they happen to kind of bring about a couple of questions that make a couple of deep thinkers go, well, what about this? And why didn't you explore that? And they didn't they didn't explore it because it's a television show and in 40 minutes and they didn't, you know, it just didn't come up or they didn't write it that way or they didn't portray it that way. Right. But that feels like a swing and a miss. Like it feels like you could you don't have to hit resolution. You don't have to sit there and get to the end of the story and go. And this is the way it is. Like you can go ahead and leave it wide open for interpretation. But go ahead and make it complex. Make it make it not straightforward. Make it. You know, make this bad guy um, not as bad. Uh, make this bad guy not as um, cleanly bad. And you know, make. Uh, I was very pleased that you brought up the you know Simon's transformation and that this is a story about Simon. But again, actually, in my book, that might, that, that that counts against this episode because I wasn't thinking about Simon and his transformation. You had to bring it up, and then I thought to myself, "Oh, you're right. We did see that." Um, it. it uh, it might have been me just missing it, but I don't think that it it didn't present itself as the main thrust of the story. It felt like the main thrust of the story was how is SG one going to get out of this pickle? Like, yeah, I, I think that the the real story, the, the the story that is not the story that that actually we ended up seeing, but the real story mm-hmm. in this forty minutes is the transformation of Simon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that Simon begins as a character who um, is fearful, uh, one who questions, but one who has been cowed, um, uh, and then is transformed into somebody who could stand up, and after the canon's death now, mm-hmm. I could envision Simon walking back to town and becoming a leader in that community. Yeah. He has transformed enough yeah. for that. That's the story, but I think you're absolutely right that that's not the story uh, that is that they spend the time on. Right. Uh, they spend the time on, oh, there's a bad guy. Uh, now SG-1's got to escape. Look, they escape. Yep. Game over. Yeah. That's the story that they spend their time on, but that's not the story that's actually here. Mm-hmm. And that, I agree with you, is is a knock against it. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they missed the story that was uh, and just kind of danced around mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, well... Yeah, I've, I think that you and I probably could talk for another hour on this one, but we're already pretty deep in the recording stack. Yep, yep. There's, there's. I wish that this had done more. You know, that's. I think that's 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 probably the best way I can kind of stop my observations. I wish this had done sure. More. Uh, which means then, Brent, uh, mm-hmm. I invite you to, as you wish this had done more, as you look at what it is. How many chevrons does it get? Yeah. <clears throat> You know, I mean, I was starting pretty middle of the road because of the variety of reasons. It was fine. Um, as we talked about it, it does feel like it had an opportunity to do something more and it missed it. Um, I'm going to stick with my original rating. I'm going to go with three out of seven chevrons. But um, instead of it, me being like three plus, I now was going more like three minus. Like it's... Uh, uh, so do you need to go two seven five? No, I don't. I uh, you know if I would go anywhere, I'd go like a two nine nine three if I had to. But uh, um, but two nine no. nine three. No three. I I give it three out of seven chevron. I'm going to stop talking. Okay, three. I give it a three. All right. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this episode uh, has the potential, or had the potential to uh reach up into the five category. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, if, if it had actually told the story that was and not the story that is, uh, I don't know what that means exactly, but you know, sure. um, I was, was, you know, I, I'm actually going to have to give it a 2.5. Uh, yeah. I was trying yeah. to decide if it's a 2.5, is it a three? Uh, I'm going to give myself that wiggle room to go better than a two, but less than a three. Um, I like the questions that it begins to pose. Um, but none of them are really even wrestled with. They're just sort of tossed out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it it is a forgettable episode. I mean, ultimately, if you never saw this episode, uh, you're not going to miss a whole yeah. lot, if anything. Yeah. You probably won't miss anything. Right. Um, so I'll give it a 2.5. Okay. Yep. Um, I think we're pretty close to the same spot, but I'm willing to give it a point something. <laughs> and I am not. <laughs> All right, Brent. Yes. Our next episode of mm-hmm. Stargate SG-1 mm-hmm. in season three mm-hmm. is entitled Rules of Engagement. Mm-hmm. And I ask you, what is Rules of Engagement all about? Mm-hmm. Next time on Stargate SG-1. The SG-1 team travels through the Stargate to find themselves on a strange world. But boy, oh boy, is it beautiful. Bountiful scenes of green lushness that aren't trees, but are trees, but they're not trees, and mountains, and a beautiful pink sunset, and the music gets soft, and the lens gets fuzzy, (laughs) (laughs) and we zoom in. We zoom into Jack O'Neill's face as Jack turns to Sam. I was debating about Sam or Teal'c. Do I go with Sam or do I go with Teal'c? Turns to Sam and he says, Sam, I've got a question to ask you. And he drops to one knee. Aww. Join us next time for Stargate SG-1. Rules of engagement. <laughs> I'm doing that dog face with pun, the, the, the big old grin. Yeah. The, eh? Yeah. Eh? Yeah. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. yeah. I, I, I see do what you, you think, did there. Uh, um, do you think that, uh, do you think he's going to pop the question? I, I, I will tell you this right now. Mm-hmm. I promise you, he does not pop the question in oh. rules of engagement. Oh, does he ask Teal'c? To marry him? Teal'c, I've got Teal'c, I've got a question to ask you. Uh, <laughs> shall we watch the promo that David so kindly yes. made for us? Yes, yes, All please, right. let's do this. I am hitting go now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. SG-1 encounters nope. an unknown Guess what? I pulled up the wrong promo. <laughs> oh, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, I'm sitting there like, wait a minute. This was last week's promo. Oh, hold on. Oh, okay. Hold on. Okay. Let me start all over again. Are you ready? Uh, Nope. It's loading. Okay. Now it is ready. Yes, right. I am ready. So I am hitting the promo <laughs> now. Yes. Okay. Next time on Stargate SG-1. SG-1 encounters an unknown Stargate team. Identify yourself! Colonel Jax O'Neill, SG-1! What squadron? Anyone notice the patch? SGX. There is no SGX O'Neill. Not under Hammond's command, no. But who do they fight for? Oh no! What? Assemble before me and listen to me. 
possesses the full cube. Oh no! No! It's all next time oh. on Stargate SG-1. Oh, they're all gonna die? Oh, that's terrible! <laughs> oh no, that's not... Nobody gets engaged. No. That's no good. No. Uh, th- oh. th- this this is uh, uh, not about the rules of in- getting engaged, but the rules of engaging in military combat. I want to see one where they engage in engagement. Well, okay. You're welcome to want that. <laughs> I'm not going to get it, eh? <laughs> Ooh, so what is this SG other team? And, was, and, and, and like the, and the ghost of Apophis. <laughs> yeah. Was that Apophis? Did I miss? I got that right, right? That was Apophis, yeah, that, yes. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm confident I'm going to have a satisfying explanation, but I'm just saying. Yeah. He's back. He is back. Well, yep. we will find out next time mm. what yes. rules of engagement is all about. Mm-hmm. And Brent, you do realize that when we talk about rules of engagement, that will be our 50th episode. 50! Yay! 50! So uh, we'll have to do something suitable for that. Um, if you have any ideas of what we should do for our 50th, sure. uh, please let us know. Uh, you can do that by contacting us on Twitter at Stargate Walking mm-hmm. or post it on Facebook, Walking Through the Stargate, the Facebook page, mm-hmm. the Facebook group, whatever. Uh, or you can email it to us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That is, you know what it is. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you got me. Yep. Uh, <laughs> So uh, email us uh, what you think we should do for our 50th uh, episode. Uh, That's quite a mile marker for us, Brent. Yeah, Uh, it is. So uh, we are then roughly one-third through... No, no. uh, No. Yeah, you know, between one-third and one-quarter, one-quarter to one-third through the series. Oh, I thought we were... Okay, cool. Well, I mean, so there there are like 215 episodes, so... Oh, I thought there were more. But we are also doing two-parters as... As a single episode, good so, point. You know, That's right. do the math. It's it's around a quarter or a little bit more than a quarter. Who knows? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, that's all. Next yep. time, okay, on walking through the Stargate. Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to it. All right. So with that, uh, I'm Zach, and I'm Brent, and this has been walking through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye, Carter. Dial it up. Get these people home.